Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Yes, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we are back on the airways. We are back. We are live. Once again, it's your man, GM Cool, and this is another edition of Cool Radio. Uh, ladies and gents, we have a very... Very entertaining. <laughs> uh, yes, we have a very entertaining episode lined up for you all. I mean, I mean, come on, man. If you guys have been within the, uh, I don't want to call it Twitter sphere anymore because it's not called Twitter anymore. But if you've been paying attention to pop culture and social media over the last two to three weeks, then you already know what we have in store for you. We are going to be talking about Drake versus Joe Budden. We are going to be talking about the alleged killer of Tupac revealing himself. All right. And we are also going to be talking about DJ Envy and him potentially being replaced on The Breakfast Club. We're going to get into all of that. And of course, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you all that we are definitely going to be getting at one jaded pink kit all right we're not putting a smith on the end of her name because she don't deserve that but yes once again jaded pinkett has made the news and uh we will be talking about all that and more on today's edition of cool radio but before we get to all of that you guys already know how i like to start off the show i like to start off by getting a few things off of my chest if you will so on that note I think it's time that we, uh, hmm, how should I say this? Let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. All right. So first thing we want to talk about is Drake. All right, let's talk about Drake. Drake just released a new album entitled For All the Dogs. And a pretty lengthy album, if I may say so myself, but that is the Drake standard, but that's also... The standard for the era that we're in right now, which is the streaming era. So about 23 tracks on this record, or on this album, rather. Um, and I gotta be honest, and this kind of goes into what I want to talk about and what kind of is uh, a substantial portion of the show today. If I'm being completely honest, I was largely indifferent about this album. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was just mid, if I'm being completely honest. And it's not the first time I've said that about a Drake album. In fact, I've said that about that for the last three to four Drake albums. Uh, minus the uh, the house album that he put out. And like I didn't really rank that one simply because it's of a different genre. Uh, so I'm not going to hold it to the same standard as 
the majority of his albums within his discography. But with regards to this one for all the dogs, it just didn't do it for me. It just didn't. It just it's it's gym music. It's riding on the TTC music. It's riding on the Go Train music. It's just there to basically perpetuate a vibe. And so with that being said, I'm not going to do a critical breakdown of the album because it basically sounds like his last three or four projects. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I don't see any large dramatic difference between For All the Dogs, Certified Lover Boy, and Her Loss. I'll be at Her Loss as a duet album with... 21 Savage, but nonetheless, it still falls in line with what we know about Drake when it comes to subject matter, which is money, women, and how money and success changes the attitudes of those around you. That's essentially what he's been talking about relatively throughout his whole career. But over the la- the course of the last few albums that he's put out, it, there's just no difference. Anyways, let me kind of backtrack a little bit and give you guys the synopsis and paint the picture. So, obviously, when we came to know Drake, he he set the world on fire when he released So Far Gone. It was nothing like we had we had heard before from a rapper, and it would basically set the foundation for what would be the new generation of rap going forward. So, that being said, that's a mixtape. not putting that in discography, but that's where Drake's journey to stardom really began. And then we have Thank Me Later. Thank Me Later, it was a cool debut album. It was just it was just filled with a whole bunch of like who's who within the rap and R&B game because he's the hottest thing out. So obviously you want to attach yourself to whatever is hot so that you yourself as an artist have momentum. So there's that. And then he puts out um, Take Care, which was a much better album. And I would say it's probably more comparable to So Far Gone. It has... So far gone moments, but not exactly so far gone. But nonetheless, a much better offering than Thank Me Later. I felt like Thank Me Later was a very studio, hands-on type of album. Whereas So Far Gone, or sorry, not studio, hands-on, but rather, uh, how would I describe it? It was a very... It was a very record label hands-on album. That's a better way to describe it. I felt like A&R's had their hands all over that, whereas Take Care was very much more Drake than than the than the record label. And then he puts out his third album, Nothing Was the Same. My personal opinion, his best album. It's it's succinct, it's concise, and it's consistent with the themes as well as who the features are how he used the features and how he used his own skills on the forefront. I felt like that was the album that he tried to create and where he would potentially have a classic on his hands. Now, that album was not a classic, but it was definitely his most cohesive effort to date. But then somewhere along the lines, after that album, he just said, screw it, I'm going to do the commercial thing. Not to say that he hadn't done the commercial thing on the previous albums, including Nothing Was the Same, but I think he went full throttle on that because, in my opinion, I believe that he realized that whatever lanes he was he was attempting to try and dive into, he saw that other people were occupying those lanes. So let me, again, paint the picture for this particular scenario, for example. So 
obviously, as we know, as far as the 2010s is, is concerned, the three artists or the three artists within rap specifically who took over that decade and who influenced that decade were Drake, Kendrick Lamar, and J. Cole. And if you want to throw in a fourth artist there, you could probably say Kid Cudi or maybe even Future, but that's either here or there. So with, uh, sorry, not Kid Cudi, with J. Cole, the lane that he occupied was the blue collar, everyday person, rapper's rapper type of artist. So the person who was most relatable, the one who was most down to earth and can connect with the listener on a human level. The one who wasn't necessarily inundated with the chains and the jewelry and the glitz and the glam. He's the one who was very surface level and can touch the people on the ground. That's who J. Cole was. That's who he is to this day as an artist. And that's the lane that he occupies. He's the type of artist who doesn't need the mainstream push, who doesn't need to have the backing of the label. The moment he puts out an album, people are just going to are going to flock to it and they're going to download and stream the album. They're going to buy it, whatever the case may be. We're talking about a guy who has gone, who is who has released multi-platinum albums without the use of features. It's very hard to do in any genre, let alone rap. He's one of few artists who is known for doing that. And that just, it's a testament to the connection that he has with his fan base. But at the same time, the allure and the appeal that he has to not only his fan base, but just the general music landscape altogether. So there's J. Cole. He occupies that lane. No one else is occupying that lane outside of him. And then you have Kendrick Lamar. Now, Kendrick Lamar is the rare, the rare combination of any artist of any genre, the rare combination of somebody who has the critically acclaimed talent that he puts into his work that goes along with the critically acclaimed body of work that he has, and you combine that with his commercial appeal. Now, obviously, no one here is trying to say that... Um, uh, Kendrick Lamar is as commercially viable as Drake. No one is saying that, all right? So before anyone, you know, blows a gasket, I'm not saying that. No one is saying that. If it's a popularity contest, Drake is blowing that shit out like the Golden State Warriors in 2016, all right? (laughs) We all know this. What I am saying, however, is this. Kendrick Lamar is the rare artist in any genre of music where you can have critically acclaimed music coming out from him that isn't manipulated in any way, shape, or form by the industry or by the record labels and executives or anything like that. He puts out the music that he wants to put out. Essentially, he makes the industry cater to him. That's what he does. And it's very rare where you have an artist who can consistently put out great music while not conforming to what the industry wants him to conform to by not having to... Um, not having to, oh, there's, no, there's a word that I want to use right now. It's I have a conform. Uh, compromise. Thank you. He does not have to compromise his sound in any way, shape, or form. He does what he does regardless. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's very rare that you have an artist that you're able to do that with because of the fact that he's still commercially viable. Think about it like this. He may not be commercially viable in the same way as a Drake, but he's still well-known outside the parameters of rap. Think about it. 
You're talking about an artist who has collaborated multiple times with Taylor Swift and who is also friends with Taylor Swift. I mean, we saw her rocking out to his music at different concerts here and there, including and especially the Grammys. Speaking of which, he has collaborated with artists outside of the genres of rap. He's collaborated with bigger artists outside of the genres of rap. I just mentioned Taylor Swift. He's also collaborated with, with uh, Imagine Dragons, a very popular rap, uh, rock band. He's done that multiple times with different artists across the board outside of rap. So that shows that you have crossover appeal. Not to mention the numerous amount of times that he has that he has had show ceiling performances at the Grammys on mainstream uh, platforms like Saturday Night Live or the Jimmy Fallon show. You have to have crossover appeal in order to be on those shows in the first place. And the fact that he did it on some of the biggest stages, including the Grammys, says a lot about his caliber as a mainstream artist. Then you have to consider the fact that he curated the original soundtrack for quite undoubtedly the most popular movie of 2018, that being Black Panther. You guys have heard me bloviate about Black Panther for so long, it, it doesn't need to be done again. You already know what it is, okay? And not to mention, that album was nominated for several Grammy Awards, all right? What, regardless of how you feel about award shows in general, they are the pinnacle of mainstream pop culture. So there's another another feather you can add to his cap. And on top of that, this man is one of few artists, or sorry, not even one of few, the only artist outside the parameters of classic mu classical music as well as jazz music to be awarded a Pulitzer Prize. A Pulitzer. Do you know who you have to be to in order to win a Pulitzer? You have to cure diseases to be a Pulitzer, all right? That, that, that is, that's just another echelon of appeal to be on if you are winning or even being nominated for a Pulitzer. So Kendrick occupied that space. So what is there left for Drake to do? I mean, he's already a commercially viable artist, so he may as well stick to that gravy train. And that's exactly what he's been doing full throttle ever since nothing was the same. And ironically enough, nothing has been the same since 2013. But at the same time, everything has been the same <laughs> when it comes to the subject matter and the choice of beat selection since 2013. We, you look into, if you're reading this, it's too late. Same subject matter, but it's a bit more aggressive this time. Now you're using more trap and drill-inspired music. Then you go over to Views. Now you're using more uh, Caribbean, African-inspired music. Then you go over to um, uh, the playlist. What was it called? More Life. He doubled down on that sound. He doubled down on it from what he did in 2016 with Views. Then you go to uh, Scorpion. Pretty much the same thing, but just combining that with the elements that he had with If You're Reading This Is Too Late, and then still sticking to the same R&B you know, blueprint that he made way back when. 2019, I don't think he put out anything in 2019 as far as albums go. I, he put out a few singles here and there. Then you have 2020, the pandemic happened. Um, and then you have 2021, which is Certified Lover Boy. Then you have 2022, which was her loss, as well as the house album. And then now you have For All the Dogs. Drake is on autopilot. 
It's simple as that. Drake is on autopilot, and I get it from a business standpoint. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So obviously, you're going to stick with the same train of thought. But therein lies the the creativity being stifled or being compromised for the sake of breaking not box office records, but streaming records, Nielsen SoundScan records, and everything in between. My wish for the future, and this may be wishful thinking on my part, but I did get this from Jay-Z, so anything is possible at this point. But my wish for the future is to see him go back to his rap roots. And I'm not talking about the drill stuff, the trap, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the comeback season stuff. I want to see that from Drake. Yes, it sounds wishful thinking as fuck. I understand. But I'm saying when he's at a point in his life, when he's in his 40s, like mid-40s, like 45, 46, maybe even approaching late 40s if he's still interested in music by that time, I would love to see him make that type of an album when it's all said and done. When it's all said and done, when he's, when he's you know, eclipsed all the records that he's been meaning to eclipse, where whether it's, you know, having uh 17 number one out or yeah 17 number one singles or maybe eclipsing jay-z's record of, of number one albums that was previously held by the beatles whatever the case may be if that's what his aim is to do within the record industry great i'm not even i'm not even you know gonna judge him for that but what i would like to see when it, that is all said and done i would love to see him just go back to the roots of 2007 give us a comeback season styled album and whether it sells or not, like I feel like at that point he would have nothing to prove. And that's what I would love to see from him. But hey, maybe I'm asking for too much at this point. But what do you guys think? Do you feel like Drake is on autopilot? Do you feel like he has nothing left in the tank creatively? Do you think he should you know, stick to the course? Or would you like to see that comeback season style album from him? Either way, let me know. Hit me up with your thoughts and share your thoughts with yours truly. Okay, it's been a while since I've talked about this devil, but this devil needs to be aired out nonetheless, and the devil that I'm referring to is not Satan, is not Lucifer, is not El Diablo, it is Jaded Pinkett, Jaded Pinkett is the devil that we are going to be talking about today on this edition of Mike Check. All right. So, she is in the news today because of the fact that she is releasing her own memoir, which is now entitled <sighs> Worthy. You can't make this up, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot make this up. She is coming out with a new book called Worthy. I, I, oh, God. The title alone, as indicated by my hiccup, makes me want to throw up in my mouth because this woman is not worthy of anything at all. She's not even worthy of the urine that comes from one's uterus or urethra. All right? She's just not. She's not. She's not. Absolutely not. But anyways, 
Due to her releasing her own memoirs, she is now doing a press tour, which, in my opinion, the people who have interviewed her, whether it's the people of Good Morning America or the folks over at the All the Smoke podcast, who, ironically enough, did not want to have any smoke with her or to create any smoke with her at all whatsoever. I feel like these people are softballing the hell out of the questions that they're asking her. If it were me... Oh, I'd pull a Piers Morgan and just put her in a corner and just watch her squeal and squirm with all the questions that I would be asking her. Like, why are you such an asshole? Why are you so hell-bent on ruining your husband's life? And by husband, I mean a husband by paper. Because in no way, shape, or form, spiritually, is she a husband to Will Smith or of anyone for that matter. But I digress. Let's talk about the things that she has alleged during her book tour. She has alleged that her and Will Smith have been broken up since 2016. Bullshit. And let's see what else she's alleging. Uh, She has also alleged that her and Tupac (laughs) were engaged while he was in prison. Bullshit. And then on her birthday, on her birthday, Will Smith posted a picture of her basically talking about, oh, I love this woman so much and I just want to celebrate her day with her and happy birthday to the most beautiful woman in the world, beautiful wife, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff, all that simpy stuff that Will Smith is still doing, which I don't know why, but whatever. And then Jada comes back and posts a video the video that we've seen a billion times already of her and Tupac dancing to Will Smith's parents just don't understand. And the behavior that I define that as is bullshit. Now, let's go back to the uh, the two uh, former points that I mentioned about her alleging that Will and her have been broken up since 2016. I find that to be bullshit. Because of the fact of two things. So one thing is this. The fact that she decided to go on Red Table Talk to address her entanglement with August Alsina. So this is what, back when? Was this 2020, I believe? Yes, this is 2020 during the pandemic, during the first year of the pandemic. She announced to the world with Will Smith sitting across from the table, which still to this day, I don't know why he agreed to do that, but whatever, that's, we, we, we're, we're past it at this point. She states that she had an entanglement, which really what she meant to say was an affair with August Alsina. We don't need to get into the particulars and the details of that because we already know what happened, and I've already bloviated on that too many times already to even count. But nonetheless, she says it's an entanglement. Why would you define it as an entanglement or as or as an affair or any implication of any affair behavior if you and Will had already been broken up since 2016? Yes, I get it. They are still legally married. But if that was, in fact, you being single and you being on your single girl shit, then why the hell would you want to go on Red Table Talk to address the entanglement that you had with August. So to me, I, I call that bullshit. I'm calling bullshit on that. 
1,000%. And then the other thing where she alleges that her and Tupac were engaged either right before or during the time that he was in both Rikers and then San Quentin. Um, I'm calling bullshit on that as well because it was unearthed by basically the internet, one of the few times where the internet is actually being used as a source of goodwill. Um, It was discovered that Tupac had been engaged to a woman by the name of Keisha. Don't know who Keisha is. She's not really anyone famous. But she had an engage- he had an engagement towards her. And then shortly after, it, whether it was during the time he was in prison or after he had got out, that the engagement was called off. Now, during the time he was in prison, let's not forget that he famously or infamously had a casual encounter with Madonna. So him and Madonna were dating for, for a brief while, right? So how is it possible that Will Smith was, or sorry, that, sorry, whoa, Freudian slip there. Uh, how was it possible that Tupac was engaged to both Jada Pinkett as well as this woman named Keisha at the same time? Shit does not work like that. Unless if we're talking about polygamy, which I don't think he was into polygamy, you know, from a legal standpoint, <laughs> but nonetheless, she's out here calling lies. And then after he got out of prison, the man was engaged to Kanata, uh, Kanata Jones, who was one of the daughters of the famous, the famous, I mean, self-proclaimed, not even self-proclaimed, but it, the man needs no introduction. Like, it's one of Quincy Jones' daughters, all right? It's Quincy Jones. He's engaged to the daughter or one of the daughters of Quincy freaking Jones. So I just don't understand why Jada is lying about that. Like, I don't know if that's a way of her trying to get more street cred, but again, according to those at the All The Smoke podcast, that's basically all that they need to certify her and, and, and love and adore her because that's all they did for that entire interview that they did with her, and it makes me sick to my stomach. But nonetheless, it just makes no sense that you would lie about that, especially when Tupac has already been in an interview stating that kissing Jada Pinkett would be like kissing his cousin or something like that. I mean, the only time I can ever think of them kissing was on that random episode of A Different World in the fourth season where he played a guest character on the show who was from Jada's character's past. That's probably the closest that Jada has gone to being with Tupac. And I think she wants more of that. And she's been wanting more of that for, what, like almost 30 years now. More than 30 years. More than 30 years. We're talking about since the mid to late 80s. Like her obsession with a dead thug is disgusting. And I don't know what she wants from Will. But... Whatever she wants from Will, she's not going to get it in the form of Tupac's ghost. It's not happening. Hell, I'm surprised that she hasn't bought Tupac's hologram from Coachella from so many years ago. I'm sh- I'm shocked. But then again, maybe she has her own projector in the house that Will bought for her. And she watches that thing every damn second of the day and night. It wouldn't surprise me at this point. It just wouldn't. So, for me, I believe that 
all of what she's doing and all of what she's saying is nothing more than her own personal PR stunt as a way to repair her image over the course of the last three years now. Because whether it's the entanglement gate, whether it's the Will Smith slap gate, and anything else that's happened during that time, I believe that this is a ploy. Hell, I forgot to even mention, uh, as another form of proof that her claims to be engaged to, or sorry, not her claims to be engaged to Tupac, but her claims of being broken up by Will are false. Do y'all remember the video that came out sometime? It was either before or after the slap. But there was a video that she came out with, and this is during the pandemic time, that she came out with on her own social media where she's asking Will about how she feels about the couples therapy that they've been going through over the course of whatever time period. And Will was talking about how he prefers not to be filmed on camera and to be broadcast on social media in this fashion. And then you heard, you know, Jada be like, oh, see what I got to deal with? This is what I have to deal with, guys. Oh, my God. And it's like, what you have to deal with? I'm sorry, bitch. You're you're not the one who's going in pain because of the fact that their partner doesn't love them anymore. And not only that, but the fact that their partner embarrasses them on a daily basis for no reason. Like it's going to it's getting to the point where people are now trying to understand, like literally quite possibly understand, but trying to understand why she's going out of her way to humiliate, embarrass, and emasculate the man that is known as Will Smith. And I've been saying it since the pandemic that this bitch is jealous of him. She is jealous of the fact that he is this multi-million dollar megastar in Hollywood who has been that way for almost 30 years now. While her, she's just known as Will Smith's wife. Because let's be honest, before Will Smith, before she started dating Will Smith. So let's just say before 1996, let's just say that before 1996, what shows and movies were uh, was Jada a part of? She was part of the final season of A Different World, which basically no one watched up until that point. She was part of the movie called the movies known as The Inkwell, Menace to Society, Jason's Lyric, and Set It Off. Those are the four movies that come to mind when I think of Jada Pinkett. And within all those movies... She is playing a hood rat character. Let's just call it for what it is. She is playing a hood rat in all those movies. She was the hood rat in a medicine society who had a little bit of education behind her. She was a hood rat in the inkwell. She was a hood rat in, 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 what was it? Uh, Jason's lyric. And she was a hood rat and set it off. And that's pretty much why so many people across the board within the hip hop community like those at, you know, the All The Smoke podcast have such an affinity for her because she's that quote-unquote ride-or-die bitch. When really, in actuality, in real life, she's not a ride-or-die bitch because if she was really ride-or-die, she would be protecting and defending and loving the man that is her husband, Will Smith, instead of emasculating him in every step of the way. So no, she's not a ride-or-die chick. She just happens to be an actor who plays the role of a ride-or-die chick. All right? Now, let's go, pri uh, not prior, but 
after 1996. Let's look at all the movies that she has been a part of since 1996. She's been a part of The Matrix. She's been a part of Madagascar. She's been a part of... What film franchise has she been a part of, actually? You know what? I can't even remember. But the point I'm trying to make is this. All the movies that she's been a part of after 1996 are movies that came to her way because of the fact that she's married to Will Smith. She was in Ali, which starred Will Smith. All these mainstream movies that she's been a part of has been because of the fact that she's been affiliated to Will Smith by way of their marriage. If it weren't for her being married to Will Smith, she would have no career in Hollywood outside of your stereotypical Black Hood movies. Hell, if she was not married to Will Smith, she would be in the long line of Black actors who basically would have been a part of multiple Tyler Perry productions. Straight up. Without Will Smith, she does not get to star in these crossover appeal movies that she's been in since the mid to late 90s. She wouldn't. That's a fact. In fact, let me drop some truth on you guys right now because I'm sure we may have one or two uh, diehard jaded Pinkett fans who may be listening. And if that's the case, I don't know why you're listening, but hey, I appreciate the, the listenership. So she played the character Nairobi in the Matrix uh, trilogy. So Matrix Revelations and Matrix Reloaded, okay? Which are the latter two uh, Matrix movies of the franchise. So that role, believe it or not, was in fact supposed to go to Aaliyah. Aaliyah was supposed to get the role of Nairobi. But unfortunately, as we all know, she passed away in that tragic plane crash. The original plan, you know, had Aaliyah still been with us, was for her to play the role of Nairobi. And then after the ending of the third Matrix film, they were going to do a spin-off franchise of the Matrix where she would be front and center as the new lead character of the franchise going forward. That was the original role that they had in place for her. But due to her tragic passing, that was not meant to be. So instead, they gave the role to Jada Pinkett, but then they scrapped the plans of creating that franchise around the Nairobi character. Why? Because they wanted Aaliyah and not Jada Pinkett, or anyone else for that matter. And especially not Jada Pinkett because... Why the fuck would you give a lead role to Jada Pinkett? Hence the reason why she's never had a lead role in any fucking movie that she's been in. Even in the Hood movies, she hasn't had a lead role. Why? Because no one gives a shit about Jada Pinkett. I mean, fuck, I forgot about that Girl's Trip movie. That Girl's Trip movie was so overrated. It wasn't shitty. It was just mid. I mean, at best, it was mid. At best, it was mid. It's a Netflix rental at best. I'm not spending money to see that movie at all. I saw the movie and I'm like, okay, I've seen this movie before, but with other actors and like other productions. It's been done numerous times. Numerous times. They were just late to the party when it came to 
the 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 loud physical comedy and what have you. They were just late to the party at that point. And not to mention the entire movie just seemed like one big giant commercial for the Essence Festival. But that's neither here nor there. The point I'm trying to make is this, ladies and gentlemen. Jaded Pinkett owes her career and basically her livelihood to Will Smith. And yet she treats him like dog shit. And no one can understand why. And not only can no one understand why, but I think we're all starting to recognize that she's a jaded, toxic, piece of shit human being who doesn't deserve respect from anyone. Even and especially her own kids with the way that she's most likely manipulated them throughout their entire lives when it came to how they view their own father. I mean, let's not forget that she had her own daughter writing love letters, essentially, to Tupac saying, oh, when are you going to come back? My mom misses you. She's sad without you here. I'm pretty sure that Willow wasn't even born by the time Tupac got shot the second time. So why and how is she writing in love letters talking about come back, I miss you, I wish you were my real dad? <sighs> Will Smith doesn't deserve this, okay? Will Smith does not deserve this toxic shit, shitty behavior from a person who is as vile as Jaded Pinkett. Absolutely not. And as far as where he should go from here, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to say you should cheat on her or anything like that. Like, that's not going to do anything. If anything, he's going to feel much more remorse for that. But what I will say is this. Will is somebody who doesn't believe in divorce. And I think that goes back to his Christian views and values. And if that's the case, then so be it. In fact, I probably wouldn't even want him getting a divorce, seeing as how I'm sure this guy did not sign a prenup. I I can put I could put everything I own on the possibility of him not not drafting a prenup and having her sign one. I'm sure he didn't because he's madly in love with this woman. That being said, he needs to kick her out of the house. Kick her out of the fucking house. Evict her. Create a restraining order, please. Because if you're not going to go through the divorce, and even if you did, that means half of your assets belong to her. And I would hate to see that happen. But nonetheless, get a restraining order and kick her bum ass out of the house. Get her sorry ass out of your house that you bought and paid for with your millions that you amounted over the course of your career, building your own legacy. Get her out of the house. Kick her out. It's not like you have to pay child support because your kids are both over the age of 18. So you're good on that front. And I hope to God you're not having another kid with her. Um, but yeah, kick her out of the house. Kick her out of the fucking house. And if she wants to be the strong, independent woman that she is, then she will have no problem of finding her a home of her own. And let's say the kids already dislike Will. I mean, the kids, they may be airheaded, but they're not stupid. They see what happens on social media. They, they're seeing what's happening in, in pop culture, and they're seeing how people are talking about this whole situation, what have you. And if for whatever reason, 
his kids decide to hate him even more for kicking her out of the house, then so be it. You have nothing to lose at this point, bro. Like, that slap hurt across the world basically tarnished your image and it kind of ruins your career in a sense. So, my proposition to you, Will, kick her out of the fucking house because you have nothing to lose at this point. In fact, I think people will applaud you for kicking her out of the house. And we're getting to a point where not only the general landscape of people have recognized how toxic and volatile that this woman is but i think even the black community the ones who were clapping it up for her and him when he slapped chris rock i think even now they're starting to recognize that she's out of pocket for the things that she's been saying uh over the course of the three years and the things that she's been saying over the course of the last few weeks now which is kind of refreshing to say the least should have happened sooner but hey biggest can't be choosers point of the matter is kick her out of the fucking house and that's for jaded um i hope she only sells about 14 copies of this of this novel i know that's not going to be the case because people like messy shit but i hope going forward when they read this book by the way i'm not reading this book because it's gonna be full of lies uh but when people do read this book or they come across it or they come across the reviews of this book whatever the case may be I just hope that they are now looking at a monster. A monster, a demon, an ogre of a person who does not deserve Will Smith's love and respect and who does not deserve love and respect from any human being walking this planet. I have her for me locked and cemented in the cancel box and I hope she gets canceled for an eternity. Why? Because Jaded Pinkett is a flaming pile of human and animal excrements that doesn't even deserve to be scooped up from the cement. Just let it sit there and rot. Because she is the definition of a human piece of shit. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, I doubt it, but maybe I am. But either way, what do you guys think about Jaded Pinkett and her current press run of her stupid book that I hope nobody buys? Either way, let me know what your thoughts are and let's talk about it. All right, so let's get to Trip Talk. All right, three of the hottest topics that took over hip hop and or pop culture. Let's get into it. So first topic, we got to talk about Drake versus Joe Budden. So Joe Budden is no stranger to making enemies. Um, I've let my thoughts of Drake, uh, sorry, Joe Budden be known. Um, I think he's also a human piece of shit, um, much to the liking of Jada Pinkett. Um, But nonetheless, he got himself embroiled into a war of words with Drake and he did so by way of his own podcast. And as he does, he usually reviews albums and gives his take on albums and things of that nature. And he was a bit more critical of Drake's latest project. So that being said, uh, this comes by way of Billboard. Uh, this is what he said with regards to Drake's latest album for All the Dogs. And I quote, he rapping for the children. Yo, dog, I had to look up how old this was. When I finished listening to the album, 
You are 36. Your birthday is in 20 days. I Google that too. You're going to be 37 years old. Get the fuck away from some of these younger and stop fucking these 25 year olds. I want to hear adult Drake rapping for adult people. He's rapping for the kids, the streams, the accolades. He ain't trying to rap for me. I accept that. So that is what Joe Budden said. And yes, I did just call him a human piece of shit. But I can't front. He has a point. He actually has a point. I somewhat agree with him. I feel as though not only has his music basically stagnated just from a a subject matter standpoint, but I feel like the subject matter that he dives into is essentially for a younger audience. Now, him about having sex with 25-year-old women, I mean, I don't know about that. That's his business. That's a little too young for my liking, but hey, it is what it is. Um, I guess him and Leonardo DiCaprio have something in common. But nonetheless, I'm sorry. I It was right there. It was right there. Come on, don't blame me. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> but yes, I kind of do see where Joe is coming from because this... And I've said the same thing about somebody like Nicki Minaj, for example, where you're making music for people who are younger than the age of 25 and it's just very juvenile. And I can see where Drake or where Joe Bunn is coming from. I hate the fact that I'm agreeing with them, but he's not completely off of what he's talking about. Anyways, Drake was not too thrilled to hear about that. And so he decided to respond to Joe Budden via Instagram. And this is what he had to say about Joe Budden. And I quote, Joe Budden, you have failed at music. You left it behind to do what you are doing in this clip because that is what actually pays your bills. For any artist watching this, just remember you are watching a failure give their opinion on his idea of a recipe for success. A quitter give their option on how to achieve longevity. You switch careers because the things that pop into your brain had you broke living check to check and the raps you write had 450 men showing up to your shows in Dusty and Nietzsche jeans <laughs> to screw up their face to Mood Music 29 and pretend you are the GOAT. Please, to any artist that's doing what they feel is right, don't let these opinions affect your mindset after the fact. This guy is the poster child of frustration and surrendering. You're retired and we never hung up your jersey. We don't even remember your number. We know you for doing this. You withdrew from rap, not because you accomplished all you need to do. It's because it wasn't working for you. I never want anybody in the generations to think that the whole everybody's entitled to their opinion is a real thing. This is a man projecting his own self-hate and the fact I did and continue to do everything he wanted to do for himself. If you need to put it in simpler terms, I own a 767. He owns a modest house in the 973 and flies first class on special occasions. Damn. Okay, we're going to get to that in a second. But Joe Budden responded by saying the following, and I quote, You'll grow up sooner or later. Father Time is undefeated. Simple as that. All right. So with regards to what Drake said, I mean, first and foremost, is there any artist in the game who's more pettier than Drake? I don't think there is. I think Drake 
petty, like Omega level five petty is a petty son of a bitch. Okay. Like this dude is petty. That being said, I also believe that Drake is not wrong in his assessment of Joe Budden. Uh, basically stating that he makes music for <laughs> dudes who wear Nietzsche jeans. I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, moon music is for the hood. It's basically for the hood. It's for the hood mans. Um, and ironically enough, similar to Drake, he does talk about his toxic relationships that he's had over and over and over again. So it's almost like the pot calling the kettle black in a sense, because that's what Drake raps about, but he's judging Drake for rapping about that as well. So I see where Drake is coming from on that standpoint. Also, Joe retiring to do the podcasting and basically being a critic of other people's music. I mean, I do see that as well. And that's not to say that you can't jump from being a rap artist to having a uh, having a podcast and, and talking about what you, whatever you want to talk about. Because literally, Noriega did the same thing. Um, and I believe there's other rappers who have podcasts as well. Hell, there are basketball players who have their own podcast and they talk about basketball and stuff like that. To varying degrees, mind you, I don't even want to get into that because that's a whole another podcast in and of itself. But I do see where Drake is coming from. But at the same time, I can't help but feel as though Drake is coming from, I don't want to say a bitter disposition, but from a defensive disposition. And this is the, this, this is the disposition that not only Drake, but a lot of other rappers come from when it comes to whether it's podcast hosts or radio hosts or journalists for that matter, giving their critique on a project or a concert or a single that they've done, they do get very sensitive. Hence the reason why artists, whether it's him or even The Weeknd, for example, refuse to do interviews anymore because they feel as though the journalist or the on-air talent is going to either misconstrue what they're saying on the record or they're going to judge their project harshly. And another thing to keep in mind of is the fact that if you are an on-air talent, whether it's radio or television, or if you're a podcaster, or some form of media, whether it's mainstream media or content-created media, you are essentially seen as a tastemaker, a culture critic, Whatever the case may be. I've been called a culture critic before. Um, I've been called an influencer before. I'm not really keen on the influencer term. I think it's a bit pretentious. Culture critic, I can understand that. Objectively speaking, I can see why people will call me that because I do critique the culture, essentially. Um, so because of that, the culture critics and what, and what have you, they're going to have the ear of the people. They're, they're going to be the ones that the people are going to look to as getting their take on what they feel as though they should invest their money and their time into. And if an artist, whether it's Drake or whomever, feels as though that that person is giving them a negative outlook on their project, then they're going to feel very defensive and they're most likely going to attack that person. So I feel like a part of that plays into Drake's tirade on Joe Budden, but I also do believe the fact that there is history between him and Joe Budden that ties into that as well. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Drake, or sorry, that Joe Budden dissed Drake because of perceived, because of a perceived diss that Drake made that he thought was aimed at Joe himself when really it was aimed at Pusha T. 
And also, Joe is somebody who likes to en- enthrall himself into beef and stuff like that to make himself relevant. So I do see the fact that Drake was cognizant of that and decided to fire back at Joe in this way. Though I wish he would have done it on a rap song, but it is what it is. Either way, I feel like both of these people have made their points. And going forward, I mean, it's not like either person is going to invite each other to the cookout anymore. But then again, Drake is out here being friends with Kanye after the umpteenth time, so who knows? Either way, what do you guys think about the war awards between Drake or Joe Budden? Do you feel both of them are justified in their points? Do you feel as if neither of them are justified in their points? Either way, let me know, and I would love to know your thoughts on that. Now, going back to the theme of Tupac, it was revealed a few weeks ago, probably towards the uh, end of September, that his killer has been identified and has been arrested. And his killer goes by the name, or alleged killer, I should say. Well, not, no, I'm not even going to say alleged killer. I'm going to say killer because, well, you'll understand why. But his killer goes by the name of Dwayne Davis. And he was arrested in late September on charges of the murder of, the, of Tupac Shakur. And basically, the way that this case was reinvigorated... Uh, was by way of Mr. Davis going on multiple podcast runs, whether it was on Vlad TV or or any other podcast that wanted to hear him speak on his gangster ineptitudes. He was going on record and stating that he was the one who killed Tupac. In fact, an excerpt uh, of the story being broken by ABC News states, and I quote, the case remained cold for decades until, quote-unquote, reinvigorated in 2018 when new information came to light, specifically Dwayne Davis's own admissions to his involvement in this homicide investigation that he provided to numerous different media outlets. So in other words, this motherfucker snitched on himself, okay? And see, <laughs> hey, listen, this is one of the reasons why I have a love and hate relationship with hip-hop culture, all right? This is where the hate relationship comes into play, and this is why sometimes it's annoying to do stories like this for cool radio, but I do it because of the fact that it's relevant. The fact that this guy went on multiple platforms and snitched on himself is something that I just don't understand. And what I hate and don't understand is the fact that a lot of these whether it's current gangsters or retired gangsters or aspiring gangsters they will say anything and everything to get the attention and approval of other male gangsters just to say that they have street cred or they have hood points or they got juice or they or they got some riz in these streets You could have been living your life freely for these past 25 years and then some. But because you, and I don't even know how old this man is. Like he's got to be in his 50s at the very least. But because you want to show off how much street credibility you have towards the mandem, towards every other person in the hood, to to everybody in in the Compton Swap House meet, 
you decided to snitch on yourself and then let that be the catalyst for you to get arrested three weeks ago for the unsolved murder of Tupac Shakur. Now, a lot of us have speculated that it was um, it was the uh, the person who goes by the name of, I think it's Orlando Davis, who was basically the person that Tupac, Suge Knight, and their associates had stomped out on that fateful night in Las Vegas. We thought he was the one who did it. But no, it was his uncle stating over the last five years that he, in fact, was the one who did it. You could have let that die in the grave, literally, because Orlando Davis, you know, eventually got shot and killed months later after it was it was thought that he was the one who killed Tupac. That lie could have died with him. And you could have been living scot-free. But because, not because of guilt, but because you wanted to show how gangster you were, you let the cat out the bag. And this is somewhat of an aside thing, but this is one reason why I don't understand why people, sorry, why black people specifically within the hip-hop sphere have this hatred towards somebody like Vlad. Vlad has a platform where all these retired goons and pimps and hustlers go on to and explain their exploits, their illegal exploits of what they did, how they made money off of it, and how it gained them all the clout and street credibility in the world. And when they get arrested for it eventually, everybody looks at Vlad as like this culture vulture or somebody who wants to profit off of the black community by having all these quote-unquote OGs on his show. When in reality, he invites them onto the show and they, under their own volition, under zero duress whatsoever, they themselves decide to expose themselves and talk about their gangster exploits. And when they get arrested, somehow it's Vlad's fault. Listen, unless if Vlad who isn't on camera, but unless Vlad is the one who has a shotgun, a rifle, a 9mm, a Glock 19, or whatever revolver or firearms that people are carrying around these days for target practice, unless you tell me he has one of those in his hands, pointing to them at their head from behind the camera, you cannot tell me without a shadow of a doubt that these guys are going, are not going on the show without their 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 own consent or volition because they are, they absolutely are. So why are we hating on someone like Vlad who's doing this? Like, would it be any better if Charlemagne the God was doing it? Would it be any better if Joe Budden was doing it? Would it be better if if um, the CEO of Rap a Lot Records was doing it, Jay Prince? I don't. Uh, Oh, listen, y'all. I almost yanked out my headphone. I actually I did yank out my headphone doing this. I'm trying to put it back in my ear right now. Bear with me for a second. But nonetheless, it's for reasons like this that I will never, and I mean ever, understand. Not only hip hops hip-hop communities infatuation but the black communities infatuation and obsession with the code of the streets 
I'll never understand it. I'll never try to understand it. Especially if you're not from those environments. I will never try to understand it. I'm too old for that shit as far as I'm concerned. So going back to Mr. Dwayne Davis. I mean, this is Wankster of the Week material, if you ask me, but someone else took the cake. Um, but going back to this, we will see how the details of this unfold, and we will see what type of court proceedings will follow heading into this investigation and everything in between. But until then, what do you all think? Let me know, share your thoughts, and I would love to find out. All right, and final topic for Trip Talk, we got to talk about DJ Envy. So DJ Envy, and maybe I'm, I must have missed this, but DJ Envy is under the hot seat to the point where they are looking for a replacement for him on The Breakfast Club because of the fact that his name is being caught in a real estate fraud investigation. Now, this by way of hiphopdx.com, uh, DJ Envy has for months now been associated in the public eye with a scandal involving his former business partner, alleged real estate scammer, Caesar Pina, a scandal that has gotten Pina arrested by and Envy's workplace reportedly visited by federal law enforcement. But Envy had been getting warnings from the beginning about Pina from a surprising person, Joe Budden. By the way, as a side note, I love how all of my stories that I'm talking about on Cool Radio right now have all been connected in some way, shape, or form. It's almost like the Cool Radio Cinematic Universe or some shit like that. That's what it feels like right now. I mean, we have, you know, kill Tupac's Killer, obviously Tupac being linked to Jada Pinkett. <laughs> and then we have Drake's album uh, being criticized by the looks of Joe Budden. Joe Budden telling DJ Envy not to be involved with this case. I mean, it's all interesting. It's all connected. It's all connected. Anyways, I digress. So now he's being caught in the scandal and it's now basically ruining and hampering his career. And going back to Joe Budden, uh, this is basically uh, what DJ Envy uh, was referring to with regards to this case and how Joe Budden was the one who warned him about it. So this is what DJ Envy had to say, and I quote, I said, hey guys, I'm doing real estate. This is something that I think you should invest a little bit of money in. Try it out. That way you can do it. Joe Budden told me it was a Ponzi scheme and I was going to go to jail. That's literally from DJ Envy himself. Um, so... My thoughts on this are this. I think if you are going to go into real estate or any type of business venture, first of all, do your research on it. That's number one. And two, make sure it's not a fucking pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme or a scam. That goes with doing your research. That goes with knowing who is the one behind it. And if it's a thing where all of your other celebrity buddies are doing it as well, I would, I would especially investigate it because you don't know who these people are linked to and who, they, who they're affiliated with. You just never know. 
Now, as far as them looking for a new radio host over uh, on The Breakfast Club, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to be interesting because, I mean, I'm, I'm so far removed from the, be- the Breakfast Club, if I'm being completely honest. Like, I know Charlamagne is still there because obviously he's the main guy. He's basically the Stephen A. Smith of that show. Um, if I'm not mistaken, please, somebody correct me on this if I'm wrong, but... Is Angela Yee still there? I don't think she is there anymore. I think she she's up and left. So, if I'm correct in this, it's now just Charlemagne and DJ Envy, which is weird. But this is the mess that he's in, and I feel like he should have done his research, and now that's basically costing him his job and his position over at the Breakfast Club. So, we'll see how this story develops, but nonetheless, what do y'all think? Let me know what your thoughts are on this, and we'll talk about it. And now, the moment that you've all been waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, I will not keep you waiting any further. It is time for Wankster of the Week. And this week's Wankster goes to a woman whose real name I do not know, nor does she deserve the credit for having her real name mentioned on the airwaves on any way she performed on any platform for that matter. So therefore I am going to give her the name that is appropriately titled welfare dating queen. First and, short, first and foremost, shout out to my man, Jay Kareem for coining the phrase welfare dating. Okay. This person is getting the wankster of the week because she was caught in her own video that she shot and uploaded for some stupid reason that went viral where basically she went on a date with a man for the first time and was later sent home after the fact. Let me paint the picture for you all. So she's getting the wanks through the week because of the fact that she went on this date with uh, this random gentleman who she was recording on Instagram Live as well as herself. Mind you, she was just looking in the camera the entire time, barely gave this man any time of day when it came to eye contact, which I found very awkward and very off-putting. And she was mad at him because of the fact that that he was planning on taking her to the Cheesecake Factory as a first date. And she got on the camera talking about, oh, I'm a woman of class. I'm a woman of integrity. Do you see how beautiful I am? Do you see this makeup of my hair? Do you see how long it took to get all that done? Uh-uh-uh, no. No man should be taking me to a chain restaurant. And I'm like, oh, God. And so later on in the date, when they were parked over at the Cheesecake Factory or wherever they went, they were parked somewhere. He got out of his car. He tried to get her to get out of the car. First of all, it's his car. Like, he shouldn't have to try to tell her to get out of the car. He should just tell her, get out of my car. But whatever. Um, And then they proceeded to have a conversation about what dating entails and what she expects from a date. He then goes and proceeds to tell her what he expects from his partner on a date as well. And this guy sounded nervous. He was stuttering. He was just not built to be dating this kind of woman at all. I don't even know why he even agreed to it, but whatever. And then come to find out during his spiel, he reveals 
that this woman was an hour late. Let me repeat that. She was an hour late. Now, it's not as if they were meeting at a neutral meeting point or anything like that. And if that's the case, then I could understand. Mind you, you would need one hell of an excuse to explain why you were an hour late. But nonetheless, it was not a mutual uh, uh, meetup point for them to meet up at. No, 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 it was not. In fact, he drove to her place and he was waiting outside of her apartment for one hour. So you mean to tell me that you are bitching about going to Cheesecake Factory when your bum ass, your welfare dating bum ass was holding up your date for one hour while he was waiting outside your apartment in his car? Let us continue. Okay, let us continue. Not only that, but he also revealed that he had an entire itinerary planned on where to go for dinner. Okay, and there was one restaurant that he had made reservations for that's apparently a very fancy restaurant. Again, I don't know why he's breaking the bank for any person, let alone her, on a first date. That's your that's the first mistake that you made, homie. But nonetheless, we digress. He pointed out that this was the date that he planned or sorry, the restaurant that he planned on taking her out for a date to. And she's like, okay, see, now that's what I'm talking about. You should just open up with that. But then he continued on to say that, well, yeah, we were going to go there. But here's the thing. You were an hour late and the reservations are now are now done. I reserved a spot for us, but we're well past that time. So. We unfortunately can't go to that restaurant anymore because you're an hour late. So now I'm going to drive you home. And after that, ooh, those strong independent woman vibes, just they they completely went out the window. And now she's trying to negotiate with him, talking about, oh, no, we, we can try another restaurant or we can try that one or we don't have to end the date right now. Bitch, your time is done. Your time is up. You had your chance. But no, you want to be all sedity. You want to be all self-entitled, Miss I'm Queen Bee and everything like that. No, no. You're a bum bitch who's on the wrong side of welfare dating. That That's where you're at right now. And this is the thing that I hate about this current generation when it comes to dating. Um, This generation is fucked when it comes to dating. Because women like her spend all their time and effort listening to Beyonce and Beyonce is just feeding the messages talking about you're a queen. You don't have to bow down to anyone. You don't have to be humble. Embrace your inner queen, blah, 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 all that bullshit. And it gives them these astronomical levels of self-entitlement. And the thing that pisses me off more than anything is that more often than not, you normally see black women perform this type of behavior on social media and what then happens is that it creates this stigma towards black women as a whole basically telling other people whether it's black men or non-black men saying hey if you're going to date a black woman this is what you're going to have to watch out for and that's not true across the board it's it's not true across the board there are other black women out there who do not conduct themselves in this type of behavior but because at the very least a loud vocal minority bare minimum are the ones who portray themselves as these 
welfare dating queens who will only go out for a man to have that man pay for their dinner and, and feel as if they're entitled to it. They are now creating a negative sti- st- stigma that's like a bad cloud that hangs over all black women. And that's not fair to the black women who don't subscribe to this bullshit. It's only the self-entitled ones who spend all their time listening to Beyonce or listening to Steve Harvey or listening to Derek Jackson or any other influencer who wants to simp and pander to them because somehow it creates dollars and revenue for whatever platform that they have. And she's just the latest example of that. And so for that, I give her welfare dating bum ass the wankster of the week. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to end this edition of Cool Radio. Uh, thank you again. Thank you again for tuning in. Uh, it's always fun to do these pods, especially when it's on the uh, the current breaking news topics like we covered on today's episode. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm going to keep on giving you guys pods as often as I can, you know, your boy got to live his life, he's got to live his life, (laughs) but I will definitely continue to uh, give you these pods, and I'll crank them out as soon as I possibly can, but nonetheless, you can always tune in uh, via SoundCloud, via Spotify, via Google Play Music, Um, you can catch me on all platforms, or multiple platforms, I should say, at DM underscore cool, or cool radio cc whichever you prefer instagram cool for thought as well as cool radio cc as well but until next time ladies and gentlemen once again it's your man dm cool and as always cool radio is a division of cool click media and entertainment remind you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies keep it gravy and wavy we are out of here peace